And I do think as you get more seniors, certainly one of the things I've thought about is who around you tells you the truth? It is one of the questions I do find that I have to ask myself every now and again. Is is, is there someone who will say, mm, no, that's that's not right? Or did you know that you probably put your foot in it? And I think having people around you who you can be confident would tell you the truth with great intent, I think that's quite important. Hi there, this is Ben Morton and welcome to episode 102 of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the best leader that you can possibly be. This week, we are very fortunate to be joined by Ben Fletcher, who has been the Chief Financial Officer at The Very Group since January 2020 and leads the 150-strong finance team. He was previously the UK and European President at Clark Shoes. He was Managing Director of Boots Opticians and spent time at Walgreens Boots Alliance and Procter & Gamble. Ben is a trustee of the National Literacy Trust and chairs the St John's Foundation in Bath. And for nearly 10 years, he was non-executive director and audit committee chair of the British Retail Consortium. What all of this means for us is that he has a huge amount of experience to share on the topic of how to most effectively work with and for boards of directors. So if you're aspiring to an executive team position or if you're required to regularly present to them or if you've got your first presentation to a board or exec, exec team coming up, sorry, then this is the episode for you. Before we get into this episode, though, folks, do head over to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com where you can sign up for my 10 for 10 leadership course. It's totally free, it's bite-sized, and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I get asked about. It's also a program that gets consistently great feedback. But now, though, and without any further delay, let's dive right in to this week's episode, and please enjoy my conversation with Ben Fletcher. Ben, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's great to put a face to a name and to be talking to you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. No, thank you for, for joining us. Um, and what I thought I would do, which is brand new to the podcast, which is start with a check-in question. So as I was just saying off air, I always do this when I'm running leadership programs or whatever. So I suddenly thought, why don't I do it on a podcast? So the question I've got to kick off this new um habit or ritual part of the show is if you were to describe your day as a weather forecast what's your personal weather forecast today ben <laughs> well the the, the first to say probably is i'm going to steal that with pride um i think a lot of career success can be had by nicking things you see working well elsewhere and uh, taking them with you so i'll gladly take that one well look, we're just i was just saying to you we're in the throes of enjoying the last couple of weeks of year end yeah, some of the listeners to the podcast will, I'm sure, have some some involvement with. So I'd, I'd say the the weather outlook is um, 
Yeah, generally sunny. Uh, there's the occasional cloud on the on on the horizon, but hopefully, you know, the odd breeze uh, to see that off and out um, out the way. We're based up in the north west as a company, so um, you, you don't get that many sunny days. I'd say it's a sunny outlook. Good, and I'm sensing when you said enjoying year end, that's for slightly gritted teeth, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it, actually? Because, I mean, it, the, the sort of stereotypical place to go is through gritted teeth. But actually, the more I do it and, and reflect on it is, is actually what I see is it's a real, it's a real opportunity. And the, and, and the team I'm lucky to lead have done this really well is to evidence our expertise, actually. We make a load of judgments. We've made them well. They've stood up to scrutiny. And actually, when you've got a really healthy relationship between a company and its auditors, it's not just about being inspected. Uh, it's about being challenged in the right way and having your thinking probed. And of course, you know, there's that very human thing of what you really want to hear is, yes, you're fantastic. But actually, um, there are always things that you can learn a little bit about. This year, it's been good evidence that it's, it's worked well. So there's always a bit where you have to wrap a cow, cold towel around your head um, and concentrate on things that you don't always have to concentrate on. But in, in the main, it's been pretty positive. Yeah, and here we go, as per is the course, going completely off uh, off script already. But that being challenged bit, I think, is really interesting, isn't it? Because challenged by the auditors that you were describing. So often I talk to guests on the show or or clients working at a senior level, and they're often asked after some real developmental feedback. And they say, like, I, I just don't get it, Ben. I kind of, everyone tells me what's good, what I'm doing well, it's all great, don't want to challenge me. But I really want to know what's the stuff where I could be better so I, I can get better. So it's quite hard to find that sort of supportive yet critical voice, isn't it? Sticking with the particular example we're discussing, actually, a year ago, we got given some some hard-to-hear feedback that, you know, in the moment, we didn't go, oh, thanks very much, really appreciate it. But on reflection, when actually there's something here that we can do something about. And if you then sort of say, well, actually, it's, it's delivered with good intent. If we listen to it and act on it, we'll have a better relationship, we'll have a better outcome, and, and we'll ultimately feel more pride about the job that we're doing. And we sort of embraced it in that way. But recognising that isn't always the in-the-moment reaction. And I do think as you get more senior, certainly one of the things I've thought about is who around you tells you the truth? It is one of the questions I do find that I have to ask myself every now and again. Is is, is there someone who will say, mm, no, that's that's not right? Or did you know that you probably put your foot in it? And I think having people around you who you can be confident would tell you the truth with great intent. I think that's quite important. Mm. And where do you personally go to find those people, Ben? <laughs> There's a bit of trial and error um, involved for sure. I think you have to start by almost sort of lowering your guard a little bit and letting people come in right? and then seeing how that evolves. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of lucky. Yeah, I've been working now for, what, 23, 24 years. There are now lots of people that I've had the pleasure of working with who've remained mentors, advisors, who that I can pick the phone up and, and, and talk with. If I think about the non-executives in our business who get to see me in action and who aren't, they're a different type of stakeholder. You know, they're not, they're not in, in the thick of it every day. You can take a bit of a detached perspective. They offer 
good counsel. And I think looking for trying to build teams where the culture of what you have is because you're committed to one another's success, everything is with an intent to sort of serve that serve that goal and serve your success. And I'm lucky to have had people work in my teams where I've, we've had the mutual trust and confidence in one another to say, well, look, this is how how it really is. You know, I can think of one person who worked for me both at Boots and at Clarks who used to say to me, you're not needed right now. Uh, and actually, it was, it was a really... It was a really good habit because as someone who's quite interested in things generally, excited by uh, what the business is doing, the temptation is to think that your involvement is somehow pretty important to the outcome. But actually having someone who can say, no, you're not needed right now. Thanks very much. You can you can go do something different, um, something that only you can do. Meanwhile, we as a team are crack, cracking on with this. That's healthy, I think. Yeah. And I guess probably... All of what I'm about to say comes down to a, a function of leadership. But how do you create that environment? Is that down to the leader's character to build that environment? Is it a result of recruiting really great people? And I guess the reason I ask is, I think back to my first job after I left left the army and kind of my boss at the time I've, I've had on the show, a guy called Nigel Miller. And when, we, when he promoted me to his head of HR, one of the things he very clearly said he wanted from me was, was, was this challenge. And if I look back, I probably did 50% of what he was directly asking me for 50% of the time, because as much as we've still got a great relationship and, and I trusted him and I still hold him in very high regard as a leader, maybe because part of me wanted to impress, maybe part of me was worried about kind of, my next step in in the organization i probably held back on numerous occasions from giving the real honest truth so i'm just really curious about kind of how that that comes to fruition like that i think it i think it is an alchemy of circumstances and i wouldn't be able to look back and think you know i've got it consistently right in 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 any way i think i think it starts from a perspective if you're the more senior person, inverted commas, because I do genuinely believe that leadership is situational, not hierarchical. Mm. But it starts with the recognition that the first person you lead is yourself. And your right to lead others comes from the way in which you lead yourself. And therefore, it's incumbent upon you to create the conditions where for those people who are willing to do it, they feel that they can have the relationship with you, which is one of mutual confidence, trust, respect, and sort of a shared commitment to one another. And that's got to be evidenced both ways. And I think it does start with a little, you know, a little bit of what you, you were just referring to, which is um, you know, what's that initial contracting around it? You know, I welcome, I welcome your opinion. One of the things I remember seeing during the days at P&G, which I've, I've carried with me, actually, is working for people who were really comfortable about saying, I'm really, I'm really not good at this. You know, actually, this type of activity, this piece of work, it's not, it's not my skill set. And I'm going to really need your help. And asking for help is something that I think is really powerful in terms of building relationships with um, other people and probably something I'm not consistently good at, I would reflect. But I think I think it allows you to start to, again, to invite kind of people into a different type of relationship. And then I think people, in my experience, I think about me also 
playing the role with other people, if you give someone a bit of feedback and, and they're able to accept it and act on it, it's going to encourage you to give the next bit of feedback. So, you know, when someone says to me, look, I think you could have done a better job on that, um, yeah, actually, you just got to say, thank you very much. Really appreciate you telling me. Clarify anything that's not clear. And so, well, how could I have done that better? And then evidence that you heard it. And you're not going to agree with everything you're told. <laughs> Law of averages says not. Yeah. But at least taking some of it on board. I think that's the key, isn't it, Ben? When when you do get that feedback, it's saying thank you very much. As you said, you either stop there or ask some questions for clarification. And, and that's it, because anything that comes after it, but let me just explain why I did it. Or, yeah, but there was a good reason. It just kills the thank you, doesn't it? And... It, 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 to- it totally does. And it then makes the follow-up conversation difficult. And so, yeah, you, you've got, you just got to say thanks, appreciate, you know, appreciate it. And in my experience, most people want most other people to be successful mm. and, and to realise their potential. And therefore, you, you can, I think, start from a perspective that nearly everything you're going to be told is well-intentioned. Yeah, and I think that's really powerful as well, isn't it? That starting from the perspective that nearly everything in life, in work, is is done with good intent, isn't it? Like to to your point, like I think there are very few people who get up in the morning, go to work, and one of their opening thoughts is, "Do you know what? I'm going to do a really shitty job today." It's <laughs> it's, it's not dirty. totally. I, I totally agree with that. And equally, most people don't go up thinking, you know, how can I put a stick through his spokes today? Um, that that is also not typically present as a as a thought. And so, if you if you can bring those perspectives together, yeah. it's pretty helpful. So there we go. About twelve twelve minutes in on a completely fascinating um, tan- tangent to where I thought thought we would go. So let's come back to some of the stuff I planned to ask you about, Ben. I'd like to take you back to your general manager role when you was at Boots, the, the opticians, because I've not really had anybody on the show talking about the, the GM role. And I think it really is one that probably comes with a pretty unique set of challenges, right? So what would you say was some of your or one of your biggest challenges when you stepped into that role that might be helpful for, for people who are on that sort of track or tra- trajectory? It was a great role to go and do. I, my background was finance. I'd spent 12 years at Procter & Gamble in, in, in finance. I'd moved to Boots to be the finance director there and then became managing director of Boots Opticians, which going into that type of general management role was exactly what I had aspired right. to do. And so I was you know, thrilled and a bit daunted um, to be given that opportunity, which, as with most opportunities, didn't come along at exactly the moment I thought that it would or in the way that it did. Almost as, as that was about to occur, I thought, well, yeah, this would be all right. On the spectrum of finance people, I've definitely come from the commercial end of it, interested in the whole enterprise. Finance roles are often great roles to see the whole enterprise from. I hold that kind of space in, in in my head and then started straight into the managing directors role and it, and it was a bit like so sort of drinking from a fire hydrant for a while because all of a sudden it's like oh hold on wow all these other stakeholders dynamics relationships perspectives that had i stopped to think about it a bit harder in advance i might have appreciated but um i just sort of plunge straight in and when i think about doing that the, the, the first thing i do remember is just the sheer range right. you know, all of a sudden you know customers were emailing me saying I haven't, I haven't had a great experience in one of your optical practices or i've had a brilliant experience in one of your optical practices 
customer communication was not one of the things that um, was an experience when you're when when you're working in the finance function. And so, think all of a sudden, there's just an increased range of things to be dealing with. And I felt early on, it was really important to get credibility in a business that hadn't, hadn't worked in before. So I thought about how do people get confidence in the fact that I'm the right person to do this role, particularly in a business that it was very grounded in a profession, uh, the, yeah. the, you know, the profession of optometry and, and this, all of the skill that that involves. So learning uh, as much as I needed to, you know, the language and how it worked and being able to evidence sort of sufficient interest in the way in which, you know, the profession operated amongst all of the range of things and being a naturally sort of curious and interested person, actually where to focus, what to focus on, how to sort of work my way through the noise of it all. And the challenging bit for me was when I was interested in something and it wasn't important Um, and actually drawing that real distinction, which I wasn't particularly excellent at, I would say it took me a while to learn that. Then there's something about when I look back at that role, that there's something that I learned about being on show all of the time. (laughs) When you, when you are the managing director of something, the chief executive of something like it or not, your behaviour is observed non-stop from the beginning to the end of the day by everyone around you. I'd like to think Touchwood, sort of the badly behaved moments were few and far between, but I remember getting pretty exasperated about something uh, a year or so into the role and and, um, uh, I had a brilliant HR director, Jen Lawrence, who took me to one side and went, cut it out. I was like, oh, come on, you know. You can be exasperated for five minutes, you went, you can't. Wow. <laughs> and and I, I was like, well, okay. she said, everyone is watching you. Um, and if you're exasperated for five minutes, they're not going to be as likely um, to give you the perspective that you really need to hear if, if they think you know, you're just going to be an exas- you know, a bit exasperated about it. And I thought, well, look, fair, fair play. And it definitely sharpened my sense of in a role that exposed and that engaged with the whole organisation in a way that wasn't true of my previous experience, you know, the way you show up all of the time. And I guess back to what we were talking a moment ago around the first person you lead is yourself. Yeah. You know, the onus on doing that is so much more in those roles. And then sort of really kind of forced me to think about in a, in a, in a, in a different way, how do you take accountability for a whole enterprise and, and, and do that kind of stewardship role? Yeah. Um, really, really thinking about, and one of the things I most enjoy playing with and, and learning with the team about is how do you go from articulating a really clear purpose for the organisation to one that then gets traction with your customers and your colleagues and then sustainably creates value. And and we learn a lot about that along the way and, and thinking really kind of carefully and consciously about that kind of stewardship role. So stepping into doing that general management experience for probably about four years, uh, it was fantastic. Fantastic from a development point of view. So if I take you back to that moment where Jane, was it your HR director said, Ben, cut it out. At that point, how long had you known Jane and how long were you into the managing director role of Boots Optician? Because it rings, links really nicely with kind of where we started on this on this episode, right? So I, I'd known Jane for a little while. Um, she and I had worked together at Boots earlier okay. and entirely coincidentally, her HR career was pointing towards Boots Opticians slightly unexpectedly I ended up 
in as in as managing director at roughly the same time. So we had a pre-existing relationship, which was which was great. I knew each other well enough to be candid with one another, and it was probably about six months in. Yeah, it wasn't it? Wasn't even look back. It wasn't even it wasn't a big thing. It was just a. It was probably in the middle of a strategy process where you just like. Ugh. <laughs> I'm slightly bored of this now. <laughs> can, can we move on? And she was like, "No, you can't." Um, and, and and that that is a great example of what we talked about earlier. You know, somebody who would tell you the truth as they saw it with your best interests at heart. Yeah. And Ben, what about with that wonderful gift that is hindsight? Is there anything, not necessarily a, a regret, just anything that you would kind of do do differently if you're starting out again? When I look back at that experience, the one thing that I didn't do very well and which I therefore try to be more conscious about carries a lesson forward is managing the relationships with the board. Right. It, it was the first role I had where I was exposed to that kind of nonstop as 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 the managing director. And you know, we had our own board within the within the construct, different people, and I severely underappreciated the value that they could add and often saw it as kind of a hurdle um, to be overcome. You know, did, you know, did we get out of the board meeting intact, um, yeah, okay. largely? I made the mistake that talking with others, I know that you know they've made as well, but I definitely made it, is you almost think you're just being sort of scrutinised and your kind of homework being marked. And what I didn't do was spend enough time getting to know them enough time one-to-one, enough time with them as a group. And actually, I didn't spend enough time asking them for help um, and for input. And instead of seeing them as part of the answer, I saw them always as separate to it. You know, the answer myself and the team had created needed to be protected from their review. And I look back on that and, and think, you know, definitely that was something that I did not, do very well with you know with the benefit of hindsight and not through lack of kind of intent it was just if if, if i'm honest it was a bit of immaturity about how how it all worked and the way that could be leveraged and one of the things um, that i've then taken with me is actually those, those relationships need to be lent into and done in a more open way and if you involve non-executives in particular in in the thing you're trying to think through, think, see them as thinking partners and problem solvers with the same shared interests, you just have a totally different relationship with them. Yeah. And I wonder, did you have a view of sort of the, the board and those board interactions? It's almost similar to the, let's say, the worst side of, of politics. Because I, I mean, I, I'm similar. One of my last roles before I worked for myself, I'd watch my boss going out with his with his deck for the main sort of project that our whole existence was built around and again this was naivety on my part at the time and my inexperience but I'd see him constantly going around with this deck talking to all of these different people having conversations with all of these different people coming back tweaking this ever-growing slide deck then going to show it with somebody else and and I did view it as the very worst of of politics, and almost started to get like quite frustrated. Thinking, if that's what you've got to do to get on, I I'm not interested. But I I get a sense that's quite a natural view that 
people can have before they step into those really senior roles because they just don't necessarily understand how the the cogs work in a big organization i just don't know what, what's your experience of that then? I, th- I think there's definitely an element of that and it's made me think of something that i'll come back to in one minute i, I think it's an element of that i think there's also an element of that like, I've, I've already worked out what the right answer is and you know if you could just let me get on with it um i'd be happy to happy to crack on and I remember one of one of them saying to me actually what was a really well-intentioned and very good bit of feedback but one which took me completely by surprise he said well the, the, he said, the problem is you Ben you scare the board um and I said well that's that's impossible that you know I'm way too easy going to be intimidating and he said well no you, you, the thing is you turn up and you're completely well prepared and the, everything's absolutely buttoned down and you've got the answer and 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 it's just a bit sort of full throttle. And I asked him, is that not what you expect? And he said, well, of course I expect that, you know, you're on top of things and you've thought about them, but there's a there's a line between being so certain that your answer is correct and stubbornly in defence of it versus can it be improved by the perspective of other people? And I thought, well, that, do you know what? That is fair. Yeah. The, the bit that I say to people, um, I find myself saying to people more and more nowadays, having, having been around more boardrooms, is that actually you can have this perspective as you're coming up your career about how sort of, you know, august, you know, full of gravitas um, most boardrooms must be. And I sort of liken it a bit to The Wizard of Oz, actually. It looks flipping impressive from a distance, but the closer you get, you just realise there's a bunch of people trying to work out how to pull the levers. And I think and I think there is a truth of, of boardrooms about that. It's they can feel kind of very authoritative, even intimidating at a distance. But the closer you get, the more human it becomes. Yeah. And this might be a clarification of what you've already just been sharing there, Ben. But for perhaps not people who are about to join a board, but people who are sort of very senior in the next layer down, let's say, who find themselves being invited in to present papers to, to the board. Kind of based on your experience, various experience of being in boards, kind of presenting to them, working with them. What what advice would you give to someone who's about to go and present a business case or or a plan to a board? Uh, that is a great question. <laughs> Probably the first thing I say is relax. Now I definitely can think back to this in my own career where you come in, you're sort of you know slightly uptight about it all. Slightly, <laughs> yeah, quite uptight. <laughs> um, and so the just you know just 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 relax. I'd say to someone, you know this better than anyone in the room that you're about to go and talk to. So just take a moment and be comfortable with what it is that you're bringing and why it is that you're recommending it. And I would say you're going to get challenged. You're going to get questions. So that is the job of the people in the room. They, that does not mean that they are critical of you or your ideas. And, and interestingly, one of the things um, that I've been involved with for a number of years is being a charity trustee, and now I right. chair a charity board. And one of the conversations I have as, as chair of that board with the executive team who run the charity day to day is when we meet as a board, we're actually meeting later this week you can see at times as chair it's a really interesting perspective to hold for someone who's in a full-time executive career day to day as the non-executive chair and, I, and I'm there with my trustee colleague saying yeah but what about and have you thought and have you considered you can sort of see the chief executive getting ever so slightly um frustrated and, I, and he and I chat off and say I re- actually really 100% get it uh, because 
because the look you're pulling when I'm asking questions, I'm pretty sure it's the look I'm pulling when someone's asking <laughs> me something. Um, and so to, to someone coming in, I'd say, you know, you know your stuff, relax, take the challenges, and don't feel obliged to be able to have to answer every single question um, that you get asked. And often the best way is to ask a question yourself in order to better understand the perspective that you've been that you've been offered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an underused technique in boardrooms. Is when someone you know kind of offers a perspective through a question or just offering the perspective itself. Often, what happens is whoever's presenting defaults to explaining uh, yeah, or defending, I guess, or, or defending. And, yeah. uh, whereas, actually, often the smart thing to do is say, "Well, can I just understand your point of view a bit more?" Mm. And that then elicits something that's normally a bit different. Yeah, I love I love that. There's so many so many directions we could go with this conversation, Ben. I'm, I'm curious about the um, charity board, board as well. Like, have you got a view on whether there's a, a better way to to approach that? And what I'm getting at here, if you've got someone who is aspiring to a executive position, do you think it's kind of valuable to? join some sort of charitable board or trust to get some experience there to help you in your let's say commercial exec career or would you go the other way kind of do you think kind of wait until you you're an exec member and then go and join a board or does it not matter or, or do you do both well I think that, that's really interesting I think. and so I, for myself I have been a non-executive director for nearly 10 years so started in my thir- mid-30s by accident, and I've sat on an association association board, trade association board for nearly 10 years, just, just finished that, and two charity boards. And across those three experiences, one of which, as I said, is to be chair of the board, I would say that's some of the most richly developmental experience that, that I've had in the last 10 years or so. When you get to see a really diverse group of people operating and, and typically dare I say a more diverse group of people than you than you assemble in corporate life. Yeah. And certainly the people around a trustee, charity trustee board, they are more diverse. You just see and experience different things. So as a trustee of the literacy trust, I can hear directly from people who are involved in the education profession, people involved in public policy, authors, uh, publishers. We've got brilliant, brilliant finance professionals because we've got a £200 million foundation, um, brilliant marketers, brilliant educational experts. And it just completely broadens your horizon and gives you different points of reference. You also get to see how how do you create commonality out of that diversity in support of talented um, executive teams. And I think it is a healthy perspective to hold uh, not least because my experience particularly the charity sector is its ability to innovate and adapt is is really first class with very scarce resources so i would definitely and do encourage that as part of people's development and i wouldn't wait i I don't think there is it isn't worth waiting the particularly charities that you're always keen to get commercial experience onto into their organizations so they can can help them flourish I think there is a bigger question about talent coming up the organisation. I would say the most common conversation that I've had over the last couple of years, you know, how can I get promoted? When am I going to get promoted? Why haven't you promoted me? Some sort of variety yeah. of that. And it's, it is really, on one level, a difficult one because I recognise in, in a lot of people 
the almost mindless ambition that I'm sure was a feat that is exactly how I operated um, for, for a period of time. The perspective that I hold now, which I do share, but it probably annoys people, is if, if you're going to work for, let, let's assume you start working roughly age 20 and you're going to finish roughly age 65, to be very generic for a minute, you're going to work for 45 years and you're probably getting, you know, if you become chief executive, let's say, you're going to get promoted six times. So so at best, <laughs> at best, you're going to get promoted six times. Most people are not. And therefore, if that if, if that's what you're gunning for, if that's the motivator, and you sort of front load all of that, you're going to you're going to have a bit of a motivation problem when you realise that um, you're not going to get promoted anymore. <laughs> and so the the first perspective is one of sort of longevity that there's a there's a longer term perspective here than immediately competing with um, all all of the peers who, who who are around you. And there is a huge difference now I notice between people who lead off the conversation with how do I get promoted versus how do I develop? And if you keep the accent on how, how do I develop, I, I, I think that is um, much more likely to succeed. And this idea that, and it, it's a hard one to help, I find, to help people get their head around is being excellent now is the very best thing you could do for your career. Yeah. Be excellent right now. Worry about that. And you do not know what opportunity is going to present itself as a result of that. But what I can confidently say is that when people are think, thinking about how to create opportunities for others, their minds go to who can I really count on um, and what's the, and who's doing a great job and therefore what's the next thing for them. And I would say most of the opportunities in my career have not been planned. I've not sat there and thought, well, what I'd really like to do is be the managing director of Booth's Opticians. Then I'll tell you what, I'll go and work for Clark's them for the very group uh, th- these things have come about as a re- and opportunities within those organizations have come about as a result of just doing a great job now um and that involves failing give yourself the space and time to and, the, and take the risk to fail um so that you can test the boundaries of your own development there's a, a training that i saw in my days at png that i've taken with me everywhere else because i think i remember listening to it at a relatively early stage of my career and thinking i think this is true and over the years i thought mm, this is definitely true and so i share it it's called the it's called the pie training it stands for performance image exposure right. and what it basically says is the slight fib is when you say to people if you perform you'll get what you want whether that's progression or broader experience or a different role and what it says is that's not actually true. That's what we tell you, but it's not actually <laughs> true. Performance gets you on the list. What moves you up or down the list is image and exposure. And image is the mental view of you held by other people. Yeah. And exposure is how many people hold that image and know and know about it. So it's no good waking up in the morning saying, aren't I great? Why haven't I been promoted? Mm. It's what what is the view of you that other people hold. And so if the only conversation you come to have with the CFO is, how can I get promoted? When will I get promoted? Then the image that's going to be held of you is, well, you know, ambitious for self. Is that the kind of behavior that is going to get you what you want? Your performance may be excellent, but it's image and exposure that moves you up or down the list in terms of whether those opportunities become available. And that's quite a hard thing sometimes for people to hear. Yeah. I think there is a truth there that matters 
That's so fascinating, Ben. And it reminds me of a very um, present, current situation. And I, b- before I mention that as well, like the performance piece is interesting as well, in that sometimes, maybe talking from, from experience rather than projecting kind of my, my world onto other people, but we think we're performing at the level required for promotion but but sometimes we're we're not right we've got a slightly distorted view, view of ourselves the reason i share this is so i've got a 10 year old daughter who is a mad keen swimmer the last 12 months she started swimming competitively and because swimming is a really sort of volunteer heavy sport and to run a swimming gala you need so many officials so i've volunteered to become tra- to become a qualified swimming official to do that you've got to do your online training you've got a logbook so many hours mentoring you need to get all these different bits kind of signed off by a qualified referee at a gala now part of it is quite parent child teacher child like if, if i'm honest um but but that aside my focus has just been just get through this damn mentoring and get this damn logbook signed off as quickly as i possibly can i was at a gala just this weekend with my daughter end of the first day trotted off like a little schoolboy to the referee said Simon can you sign off my breaststroke and backstroke competency I'm, I'm ready straight away he asked me one question flounder like a little kid who's been caught out can't answer the question I, I think maybe he took a little bit of like joy in catching me out and said you're, you're here tomorrow we'll see how you get on tomorrow and I kind of left and I kind of made my peace with it I was like do you know what I'll get this signed off when I get it signed off, when when I'm when I'm ready. The next day, I kind of was helping out at the gala, not really thinking about um, getting it signed off and actually enjoyed the experience. Didn't feel like I was being assessed and had to memorise all the rules to, to pass and probably added quite a lot of value at, at the gala. And then I thought, Do you know what? Back to maybe the, the image piece that you're talking about and the exposure, I went, I'm just going to take a different approach. So I went up to the guy and said, Simon, can you ask me some questions to see if you think I'm ready to be signed off? Straight away, it shifted the conversation because I, I was sort of putting it in, in his camp. And he sat down, we had a lovely conversation over his sandwich and he asked me some questions. He went, yeah, tick, 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 I'll sign, I'll sign these bits off. So it, it's really interesting. It sounds very trite in some ways and off the moment, but I think just being present and, as you said, do the job you're doing brilliantly well. And it's easy maybe for you and I where we're slightly further on in our careers saying, you'll get there when when you get there but there is so much to be said for that right I think there really is and I wish earlier in my career I'd sort of appreciated the sort of 40 year perspective what I really want is to get to the end you know sort of sat in my rocking chair somewhere going well that was just really interesting I'm absolutely sure I'm going to remember none of the numbers I'm not going to remember any of the financial performance but to be able to look back and say god well yeah what a pleasure to be involved in that wasn't that demanding wasn't that interesting and I think to, so you do need to sort of say well I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get the most that I can out of this experience now not least because if your aspiration is to become more senior and that is what happens with you you stop doing any really original work is my is my observation right my team get very anxious when I start to brandish a spreadsheet you're no longer qualified uh, to do that and so what you're relying on is your judgment informed by experience 
And so the more you can sort of get the most out of all the experiences that lead up to this moment, just the better informed your judgment and perspective is going to be. Because anything that is easy and straightforward should have been decided by somebody else. It's only thing, something that is ambiguous and where actually no answer is right, definitively right, that, that should be what I'm involved with. And at that point, as I say, relying on your, your judgment informed by experience, that's another reason why I think actually getting the the NED experience, the charity experience is so worthwhile because it just broadens that perspective. And I would encourage and do, do encourage people in my team not just to think about what does progression look like. Lateral moves have immense um, value. And in my career, I've stepped off boards in order to go and get a different experience, which has stood me in really, in really good stead. And so there's a, there's a nice expression in the book I read the other day, which we've got to stop talking about career ladders and start talking about career trees. It was by um, Manu Shafiq. And I think that, I think that is essential, actually, that it's not a ladder, it's a tree. And each branch offers a different view, a different perspective. Um, you can go left, right, up, down in different orders. And importantly, you can climb down at the end. Talking more about trees that, rather than ladders um, can lead to a richer conversation. I call that the, the uh, Gordon Ramsay method. Years ago, I read his book called Humble Pie, and he spoke about kind of when he joined one of his first sort of Michelin star kitchens as like sous chef, sous chef number one, literally like peeling the veg. He'd do a great job, like peel the veg as well as he possibly could, then he'd get offered a promotion. And they say, Gordon, you're, you're doing really well. Do you want to be promoted? And said at that point, he basically always said no would move to another kitchen, go in as junior sous chef, do the same again. And if memory serves me right, he did that three or four times because he said, if I get promoted, I'm going to stop stop growing and, and developing. So he just kept going sideways, which then meant he eventually took a massive kind of leap forward because he has such a breadth of, of experience. So, yeah, really, really powerful. Yeah, I think, I think that lateral has a lot to offer. Yeah. A lot to offer. Ben, we've gone off in a fabulous but complete complete tangent i really enjoyed um so just let me ask you some of the, the quick fire questions if i can to to finish up um i love this one because of the weird and wonderful answers i get but other than your mobile phone what is one item that if it was lost stolen or broken you'd immediately go out and replace oh i think the thing i would go out and replace is there's a picture hanging in our hallway which is a picture of a uh, of a North Norfolk beach, and it's got a little little shipwreck um, in the distance, and it and it's it's a painting by a friend of ours, which marks the spot. It's off a photograph, marks the spot where my um, dad's ashes um, were were scattered. So if the, if the building was on fire, and on the basis of the family were at the house, uh, that is probably the thing I'd go and get and, and try and hang on to. Well, what wonderful answer. And Ben, what is one book that's had a really significant impact on you? or perhaps the book that you find yourself recommending to other people? Maybe. Yeah, well, I, I absolutely love to read. It's, it's, it's been a light, kind of lifelong habit and, and, and love. The one I'd say that I do go back to quite a bit is a book called Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And I'm, I'm an, an absolute history and politics nerd. And in fact, my team were asking me on Friday, what are you reading at the moment? And they, you can see those are bored, bored rigid by the answer. But Team of Rivals is a book about the presidency of Abraham Lincoln and the fact in particular that he was not 
the likely nominee uh, for the Republican nominee for the 1860 general election, but he beat three other people um, who were much more famous and well-known for it, all three of whom went on to serve in his cabinet wow. uh, in very senior roles, and uh, hence the team of rivals and, and how he sort of moulded these in, you know, incredible personalities and very accomplished uh, men brought with them the you know the ego that you would to being Secretary of State or Secretary of the Treasury uh, or Attorney General, but managed all of that absolutely brilliantly in the most intense circumstances of the American Civil War. And it's it's a really, really brilliant book uh, on, every, on, on, a, on a sort of biographical level, a sort of history level, but just as a as a way of understanding how teams of brilliant people can, of, of other brilliant leaders being brought together by by one brilliant leader. Um, it, it's fantastic. Brilliant. Ben, thank you so much for, for your time today and sharing all of your experience and, and, and thoughts. Completely, a completely different direction to where we thought we'd go. It's been fascinating learning about that kind of experience and guidance for working with and for board. So thank, thank you very much indeed. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. There you have it, folks. That concludes another episode of the show. And as always, I hope you enjoyed listening. But most importantly, I hope that you have taken some value from it and have got some ideas of things that you can do differently going forward as a result. If you are getting value from the show, then please do connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on there as Ben Morton Leadership. And drop me a note to let me know what you thought of the show and what really resonated with you. And do also share it with your friends and colleagues. That would be massively helpful to us here. And finally, on top of that, if you've got just three or four minutes to spare, it would be amazing if you could head over to the show's page on Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Those ratings really do enable us to keep bringing you more and more episodes and attract better and better guests. That's it for this episode, though, folks. I will talk to you again very soon. And until then, lead on. Thank you.